Good morning again. It is a, a joy to be with you guys this morning uh, once more, so thank you for the invitation. I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Mark chapter 6. Our passage this morning is a very familiar one, and perhaps one that's fitting on a Thanksgiving weekend, because it's a passage about abundant food, something we know thing or two about this weekend, maybe. But that's not the reason why I chose this text. We're preaching through the Gospel of Mark at First Church, and I had the privilege of opening up this passage a few weeks ago, but I think it's a fitting passage for any occasion because it's a passage that helps us to, uh, to ponder uh, Christ, our Savior, and that's what I want to do with you this morning. So Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44 is our text. I invite you to follow along with me as I read God's Word. This is the word of the Lord. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And when they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw, saw them going and recognized them, and They ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came uh, to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy them something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. They said to him, shall we go and buy 2,000 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass And they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And he took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word uh, this morning, we pray that uh, you you would teach us from it. Father, this is your holy word that you have preserved for us, to feed us, to nourish us, to point us to, draw us to Christ our Savior. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do that good work in us this morning uh, through the preaching of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Some of you will perhaps uh, remember a commercial from a few years ago, a cell phone service provider and the the, uh, catchphrase of the commercial. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Good. Have you ever noticed that uh, each of these service providers boasts the best service? 
The least drop calls, the, uh, the greatest nationwide network, maybe the, the best customer service. I don't know about you, but I have yet to find a cell phone service provider that truly fulfills all of those claims. As we come to a passage this morning that is incredibly familiar to us, one that is recorded in all four of the Gospels, we find that the feeding of the 5,000 is also a message about a provider, quite literally, as Jesus provides an abundant meal for a massive crowd of people. But as amazing as this miracle is, the question at the heart of it is not how much did Jesus provide or how many people did he provide it for, but, but really the question that is prompted by uh, Mark's telling of this account is this, what kind of provider is Jesus? The crowds were constantly drawing their own conclusions as to the answer of this question. In fact, if you were to look back in the previous passage, you would see that um, some thought of Jesus as John the Baptist raised from the dead. Some thought he was uh, Elijah or one of the prophets. Many of the crowds who followed Jesus thought of him perhaps as simply a miracle worker. Or if we were to take into consideration John's telling of the feeding of the 5,000, some perhaps saw Jesus as the provider of free lunches. But rest assured, the Gospel of Mark and all the Gospels intend to show us that Jesus is much more than a cosmic breadwinner. He's not a genie in a bottle who simply fulfills all of our desires. Through this account we will come to see the kind of provider that Jesus truly is, not because of the bread and the fish that he provided, but because of who he is. As we've been going through the Gospel of, of Mark at First Church, uh, one thing that has struck me, and as I, I've studied the Gospel of Mark on my own, uh, the, the question really at the heart of this Gospel is, who is Jesus? And through all of the... All of the um, uh, accounts that Mark tells us, all of the miracles with, which, with each um, teaching of Christ. It, it's as if Mark is saying to us, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Who is this Jesus? He is the Son of God. And so let's hear through the Gospel of Mark this morning the kind of provider we have in Jesus as we learn from our text this morning, the first thing that this passage teaches us about Christ is he is the shepherd who cares. The disciples had just returned from a preaching tour. And they had come back and are now reporting to Jesus all that they had seen and done as they went out in the name of Christ, as they cast out demons, as they preached but upon their return, Jesus and his disciples were so bombarded with people that they didn't even have a chance to sit down and eat. Apparently, the preaching tour went really well because crowds gathered. And so Jesus invites the disciples to come away with him to a desolate place. They hop in a boat and head to the other side of the lake. And it was a good plan, in theory. The only problem is the crowd saw them get in the boat and raced around the lake to meet them on the other side. And so we read in verse 34, when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
So he began teaching them many things. Now, as we think about the feeding of the 5,000, it's easy to see the compassion of Jesus. Jesus has compassion on this crowd. He eventually gives them food. But the picture of Jesus here as a caring and compassionate shepherd goes far beyond the fact that that Jesus provides some bread and fish. The imagery, that that phrase, sheep without a shepherd, is um, not an unfamiliar one in the scriptures. In fact, it's imagery that's packed with a lot of theological significance. We could see in this first an allusion to the lack of spiritual leadership in Israel at the time. That's how this phrase is used in other parts of the scriptures. It it refers to the leadership of God's people. We see this, for example, in Numbers 27. Moses is preparing to, to die, and he's worried about who will take his place in leading God's people. And so we read in Numbers 27, Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God of spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them one who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Same phrase. God's immediate choice, of course, to replace Moses was Joshua. In fact, God would always provide someone to shepherd his people. David would eventually be that shepherd and ultimately that shepherd, the shepherd, would be the Lord Jesus Christ. And that leads to a second connotation of this phrase that we see in in Mark 6. As we hear these words, he, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. We should see in this phrase, we should hear in it an expectation of the coming Messiah, the coming shepherd, the shepherd, who God would appoint over his people. That the people of Israel were like sheep without a shepherd was indeed sad news. And as as Mark um, wrote this account, as as the Gospels began to go out, as as the people of Israel heard these words, it should have caused them to, to look all the more intently for the promise of the Messiah. Who is this Messiah? Who is this shepherd to come? Because God used, again, again, this language all throughout the scriptures. God spoke through, for example, the prophet Ezekiel of a time when God's shepherds, that is, her spiritual leaders, would fail to care for the sheep, and God's sheep would be scattered. But God says through Ezekiel uh, in chapter 34, God makes this promise, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. And so what what is the gospel of Mark saying to us? As we read this account of the feeding of the 5,000 and and Jesus sees the crowd and has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. We could add to this, thirdly, uh, there may also be an allusion in this to the good shepherd of Psalm 23. It's hard to say whether Mark had this in mind, that he is drawing an intentional parallel between Psalm 23 
and this event that takes place in the ministry of Jesus. But there are some striking parallels. Consider the opening of this familiar psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. At the very least, we can say it's, it's interesting that God sovereignly orchestrated this miracle event to take place at the time it did, in the place that it did. Because our, our, our text makes uh, very specific references. It's sort of interesting. Uh, look down if you have your Bible open to verse 39. As Jesus instructs the people to sit down, uh, to, to sit down, Mark specifically notes that they uh, sit down in the green grass. Why, why this detail? Where did the miracle take place? Beside a body of water. What did the miracle involve? Jesus nourished not only their stomachs, but he, he nourished their souls. Verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What is the very first thing that he does? He began to teach them many things. It's a picture of the good shepherd who leads us to green pastures besides still waters, who restores our, our soul. All of this, I believe, is in the background of uh, this miracle account. And it helps to answer the question, what kind of shepherd is Jesus? And the answer is clear. He is the shepherd who cares. Verse 34 again, he has compassion on them. Friends, what good news it is for us to know that Christ is not a cold and heartless shepherd. But he looks on the crowd with compassion. As we think about the crowd who were gathered there today, surely there were some who would eventually believe in Christ. They would see him as their savior. There were certainly others in the crowd who, who did not. They were amazed by him, but would not follow him. And yet, yet Jesus looks on all of them and has compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. And the point that I want to draw from that is this. If, if Jesus would look on the crowd of people with compassion, this crowd, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, then how much more can we expect Christ to look upon his own sheep with compassion and care? And sometimes we forget that, don't we? That the Lord is compassionate and gracious to us. I wonder if... The Apostle Peter had this event in mind when he later wrote these words, 1 Peter chapter 5, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Dear Christian, I hope you know that this morning. That if Christ is your shepherd, if you know him as Savior, then in all of your weakness, in all of your weariness, in all of the fears and frustrations that, that you might face in this world, remember that you have a shepherd who cares for you. And so listen to the, the word of God who invites us. Cast your cares on 
on, on him because he cares for you. And so that's one truth we learn from this passage. Jesus is the shepherd who cares. But that's not all we learn about the kind of provider Jesus is from this passage. Secondly, we see here that he is also the king who serves. He's the king who serves. This second point may not be so obvious to us because the word king, uh, rule, reign, or words like that don't appear anywhere in the text. So, so how can we say that this passage is about Jesus the king? Well, it's not so much because of the words that are used, but what we see Jesus doing that reminds us of who he is. This miracle highlights the fact that Jesus is the king of creation. And so consider for a moment the power of creation's king. As the hour grew late, the disciples began to grow anxious because there was a lot of people there. They didn't have enough food to feed them. Uh, Mark notes several times throughout the text that it was a desolate place. There was nothing around. There was no food. The people had been there all day. They were hungry. And of course, Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. And he's preparing his disciples for what he is about to do. To show them that he is not only a compassionate shepherd, but he's one who is actually able to meet the needs of his people. He is a mighty, powerful Savior who can provide. Why? Because he is the king of creation. I think that's the whole point of the discussion that takes place between Jesus and his disciples in this text. Jesus asks them, answers their concern. He first says, you give them something to eat. They said to him, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread, which is a lot of money? Should we go and spend, I'll just say thousands and thousands of dollars to to feed this crowd of people? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. I think the whole point that Jesus is making in this interchange between him and his disciples is that, humanly speaking, there was absolutely no way they were going to feed this crowd of people. They didn't have enough money. They didn't have enough resources. They had a couple loaves of bread and a couple fish. There is no way, humanly speaking, this crowd was going to be fed What Jesus was asking was not just really difficult, but it was impossible. And so it's in that sense, through the the power of Christ at work, that we're reminded of the fact that he is not just a shepherd who cares, but he is the king of creation. He is able to provide for his people. The feeding of the 5,000, this incredible miracle displays the, the sovereign power of Christ who rules over all things, even bread and fish, bow to his commands. But it also shows us the kind of king he is. For we see something here of the, the service of the king or the serving of creation's king or the, the servanthood of creation's king. In fact, this, this passage becomes but a small picture 
of, of the way that Jesus, the king of creation, would serve his people. For later in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus will clearly describe the kind of king he is. Mark 10, verse 45, which I, I believe is the, uh, the central verse of the Gospel of Mark. This is, this is the theme. This is what it's all about. Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yes, he is the king. But he is the king who came to serve. And he would do that, of course, in, a, in the ultimate sense, through the cross. But what's intriguing to me about this passage is the way that Jesus chooses to serve. The way that Jesus chooses to serve in, in this context, in this setting. Because Jesus chooses to serve through his disciples. We're so familiar with the story of the feeding of the 5,000 that we sometimes miss this important point. Jesus certainly was the one who provided uh, the, the, for the 5,000. He is the king of creation. It was through him that the crowd was fed that day. But notice how he serves them. Because he chooses to involve his disciples in the process. First, again, in verse 37, he says to them, you give them something to eat. He's, he's involving them in this. Of course, they don't have the resources available to do that. And so Jesus directs the, the, the crowd to sit down, and then notice verse 41. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. Perhaps it's a small point, but, but just think about it for a moment. Jesus could have prayed and caused manna to fall from heaven. And he could have fed the crowd that way. Jesus could have directed everyone to close their eyes and, and join him in prayer. And, and when he said, Amen, they could have opened their eyes and every one of them had a plate of, of bread and fish sitting in front of them. But that's not what Jesus did. Instead, he gave thanks to God. He broke the loaves, handed them to his disciples to distribute. And there's some important application for us in this. Jesus, as the king of creation, has all the resources of the world. He is God. But he chooses to serve through his people. Just as Jesus is the king who came not to be served, but to serve, so he has ordained that his followers would be servants as well. And Jesus demonstrated this in a powerful way in John 13 when he washed his disciples' feet, displaying for them that he truly is the king who humbly serves. And in that context, Jesus goes on to say in verse 13 to 15, I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. For truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
All of this means that Jesus, the King of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, has ordained that the good news of the kingdom would be distributed through his people as we serve in Christ's name. And even through broken, weak vessels like me, like you, God would be glorified. That's why Peter, again, would go on to say in 1 Peter, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What an amazing thing it is to belong to the King of Kings. He would delight to use people like us to accomplish his purposes, to to make Christ known, to to bring glory to him. But he does. He, He chooses to use us. And so we should count it a joy to serve Christ and the strength that he supplies with the gifts that he's given. And, and so I ask you to consider this morning, are you doing that? Are you serving Christ? You were made to, to know him. You were made to glorify him. Are you using what God has given you to to do that. It's a joy to serve Christ. It's a joy to be one of his followers and to give our lives in, in service to the one who gave his life for us. And so be encouraged by that this morning, friends. That Jesus is certainly a shepherd who cares, but he's also the king who serves and he invites us to serve in his kingdom with him for the sake of his name. That leads to a third truth we learn about Jesus, our provider, from this passage. Those who know him as their shepherd and as their king also come to know that Jesus is the savior who satisfies. This may perhaps be the most obvious point to draw from this passage. Listen to the final verses. As they uh, ate uh, their meal, by the lakeside, we read, they all ate and were satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. I'm convinced that the comment, that this comment about eating and being satisfied is more than just a description of what took place. It is that. That is what happened. They ate the bread and fish and their, their stomachs were full. But I think Mark is preaching to us here. That's what the Gospels do. They, they preach to us. They, 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 they point us to Christ. Mark is intending to teach us truths about Jesus and who he is. And Mark is making a, an important theological statement here about the kind of provider Jesus is. What is he saying? He's saying Jesus satisfies. And to show that that is um, a valid understanding of this text. 
There's an interesting connection to uh, Jeremiah chapter 50. It's a, a parallel to what we see happening here. And speaking of God's gracious promise to restore Israel uh, from her time in exile, that's what, what Jeremiah is speaking about. God says through the prophet Jeremiah, uh, the beginning of the chapter, verses 6 and 7, my people have been lost sheep. Here's this imagery again. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From the mountain to the hill, they've gone. They've forgotten their fold. In essence, God's people were like sheep without shepherds. But then God would go on to say through the prophet Jeremiah, verse 19 and 20, I will restore Israel to his pasture. He shall feed on Carmel and in Bashan. And his desire shall be satisfied on the hills of Ephraim and Gilead. In those days and in that time, declares the Lord, iniquity shall be sought in Israel, and there shall be none, and sin in Judah, and none shall be found. For I will pardon those whom I leave as a remnant. How will they be satisfied? Did God mean that he would satisfy his people by by giving them food and houses and clothing? No. Even though God does provide those things and we're thankful to God for those things. How would he satisfy their souls? God's word through Jeremiah was this. He would satisfy them by forgiving their sins and iniquity. How? How? Well, we know the answer, don't we? Through Christ, the Savior, who would lay down his life for the sheep. You see all of these connections coming together. When we talk about Jesus satisfying, we can surely surely rejoice and, and be thankful for the many blessings that we have from the Lord. We can be thankful for a good church, for a faithful pastor, Good fellowship, a warm meal, a place to call home, those are all things that we can and should be thankful for. And perhaps you've spent the last week, time this last week, thanking God for those many blessings. And we should do that. But the satisfaction Jesus gives is well beyond that, isn't it? For in his death and resurrection, he satisfies the deepest need and the deepest longing of our hearts. For when we look to Christ in faith, he restores our soul, Psalm 23. He forgives our sin. He makes us right with God. He grants us eternal life. In other words, through faith in Christ, he he satisfies us with a true and lasting peace. Which is why Jesus, before, uh, before he returned to the Father, said these words to his disciples. Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Jesus says, I don't give you the kind of peace that the world gives. A temporary kind of peace. A surface kind of peace. But I leave you my peace. And so Jesus says, let your hearts not be troubled or afraid. Why? Because Jesus has satisfied through his blood shed on the cross. And in him and through him we have 
peace with God for eternity. So it is, it, it is uh, very accurate to say Christ satisfies. He is the Savior who, who satisfies. And so, dear people of God, all of this we learn because of five loaves of bread and two fish. What kind of provider do we have in Jesus? Thanks be to God, he is not just a, a cosmic breadwinner. He's not just one who gives us a free lunch and then, then leaves us. He is the shepherd who cares, the king who serves, the savior who satisfies. And therefore, people of God, wherever you are this morning, wherever you've come from, whatever you might be wrestling with, the call of this passage is to look to Christ, to rest in him. If you, if you know him as your savior, then know that he is a shepherd who cares for you. He is the king who, who served through giving his life on the cross. And, and because of that, he is the savior who satisfied, who satisfies. And if you don't know him in that way this morning, look to him. Trust him by faith. Give your life to him and these truths will be true in your life as well. Therefore, as we close this morning, let's bow and give thanks on this Thanksgiving weekend. Let's bow and give thanks to him for being such a provider. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we rejoice uh, in what we have heard this morning. God, every opportunity we have to, to reflect and ponder on Christ and who he is and, and what you've done for us through him, Father, is a, is a joyful thing to do. And so we thank you, Father, for giving us time this morning to ponder these truths. And we pray that in our mind and in our hearts, we would know beyond the shadow of doubt that, that Jesus is a shepherd who cares for us that the king of creation gave his life for us. And because of that, we can be satisfied in him. So Father, wherever we're at this morning, you know our hearts. We pray that you would cause our eyes to look to you and rest in you and trust in you this day for being such a provider. We thank you, Lord. Give us eyes to see. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.